Here it is, folks, the big show, Achilles versus Hector. This is what we came to see. This is the battle we have been waiting for this entire text. Let us finish off the Iliad once and for all and see these epic titans fighting one another. Um, but first, we need to talk about the gods a little bit more. Um, so at this point, everybody knows that the big show is about to begin. Um, the big conflict between Achilles and Hector is on the horizon. This will be the defining battle to determine the fate of Troy going forward. Um, all very exciting and important. Um, but first off, you'll notice that at this point, like Achilles has been single-handedly just pushing forward and wrecking everyone and no one can stop them and no one can stand against him and just like... Zeus even remarks that this is this is it. Like Achilles will single-handedly take out the entire Trojan army. Apparently, um, so you'll see here at around line twenty-five. He says, "Earthshaker, you know my purpose. I care for them even though they die. Even so, I will stay in a crevice of Olympus and sit and watch and take my pleasure. The rest of you can go out among the Greeks and Trojans and help whichever side you please. If Achilles is the only one fighting out there, the Trojans won't last a minute against him. The very sight of him used to make them tremble, and now he is in his path." It is finally Achilles's good day. I fear he may exceed his fate and demolish the wall. So this is like the warning that Zeus gives us. Apparently Achilles's good day is so freaking good that it's entirely possible that Achilles is going to beat his fate, single-handedly knock out the Trojans, just like, I don't even know, personally batter down the wall with his fists. It's not entirely clear. But it, as a result, like, all of the gods are just unleashed at this point. Everybody just picks sides and there's this grand free-for-all. Which actually gives us a pretty good opportunity to see each of the gods picking sides and why exactly they have picked their sides. So here at about line 37, we see on the Greek side were Hera and Pallas Athena. Obviously, they have been fighting for the Greeks this whole time. They were the ones offended by Paris when he picked Aphrodite over them. And Poseidon Earthshaker. So Poseidon is apparently on the Greek side, which is kind of weird because the Trojans, like, have been honoring Poseidon from the very beginning. It's not entirely clear why he's picking up with the Greeks. Um, like, it kind of makes sense in the sense that, like, Anatolia is more of a landmass, whereas Greek is, Greece is more of an archipelago, but not as great an explanation here. Also, and Hermes the Helper, his mind sharp as needles. Apparently Hermes clocks in for the Greek side as well. Um... It's not entirely clear why on that one, too. Like, you think of all the gods, Hermes would be, like, the least invested um, in this war. Like, he's just carrying people down to the underworld all the time. And by the end of this book, we're actually going to see him team up with Priam to get him in and out of the Greek encampment. Um, so it's, again, not entirely clear why Hermes is picking his side of the Greeks. Hephaestus, on the other hand, it's kind of obvious um, first, he's just made this big investment in the Greek cause. Like, he just made his greatest suit of armor for a mortal ever. Of course, he's going to pick the side where he gets to hang out with his cool armor. But also remember, Hephaestus tends to prefer his mom over his dad. He favors Hera oftentimes. Um, and with that in mind, obviously he's going to pick the same side that Hera, Hera is on. And he doesn't even have to worry about taking off Zeus, because Zeus is still, at this point, trying to play ambivalent or just or, at the very least, uh, undecided as far as the Greek and Trojan War is concerned. He doesn't have a side to pick. Um, if anything, it almost seems like forced he would actually pick the Trojan side. Um, between the fact that like Hera accuses him of favoring the Trojans, we just saw him 
fawning over Sarpedon, poor Sarpedon, who he loved so much and who is now dead. Um, he couldn't avert his fate. Um, so it seems like it would be fairly logical for Zeus to pick up the Trojans, but, you know, he isn't officially, and so Hephaestus can pick up with the Greeks. Now, on the Trojan side, it's again pretty obvious. The Trojans got Ares, his helmet flashing, Apollo and the archer god Artemis, Leto, Xanthus, and smiling Aphrodite. Now again, we've seen Ares fighting for the Trojans before. Whether or not he was backing up Patroclus, or whether that was just a metaphor, is kind of unclear. It certainly seems like he, when pressed, favors the Trojan side, if only because, I don't know, blood. Um, Ares is, as always, a jerk and a monster. Um, and then, of course, Apollo, also here on the Trojan side. Um, once again, we kind of get the sense that like he's a little ticked off because the Greeks keep messing with his altars remember the whole like thing that caused the this iliad story in the first place was apollo was mad um because crises daughter had been kidnapped by the greeks so it makes sense that he's still mad at the greeks about this although whether he favors the trojans all the time is a little bit more amb ambiguous um and then of course aphrodite we've seen her bumming around with the trojans from the beginning again because paris picked her so now she's going to defend his claim um, but we also see the rest of the apollo related gods joining up here so artemis teams up with the trojans and leto their mother also teams up with the trojans um again it kind of makes sense like if apollo is going to fight for the trojans then all of apollo's family will do the same there doesn't seem to be any huge reason like it's not like Artemis is really mad at the Greeks for some reason or something comparable. Um, it's just, you know, family fights with family, I guess. And then we have Xanthus, which is technically the Scamander. Um, like, we'll see later once everybody starts fighting each other and we see, like, actual god-on-god -god action. Hephaestus is apparently fighting with Xanthus, which men call the Scamander. That's the big river that runs by Troy. Um, we've talked about it a little bit before. Um, remember, all of these rivers and stuff are also gods in their own right. Um, and the Scamander, because it is a Trojan river, obviously fights for Troy. Which, again, will come up when Achilles, like, kills a bunch of people in it. Um, which, enough of this god nonsense. Let's talk about Achilles' good day. Um, so he cleans up, P.S. If this did not come as a shock to you, good. That's what it's supposed to be. We have all been waiting for Achilles to, you know, take off his gloves and systematically wreck the Trojans. And he does not disappoint here. Like, you thought that Diomedes had a good day, that Patroclus had a good day. Well, Achilles' good day puts them all to shame. Um, like, we get details like... Xanthus's noisy channel was clogged with chariots, horses, and men. Achilles has killed so many people that the river is backing up. And it's like, it actually attacks him at one point. Like, the Scamander itself is mad about all of the dead bodies that Achilles has produced and left in the river. Again, like Zeus just warned us, if Achilles was left unchecked, he might have beaten his fate and wrecked Troy personally. Um... And then I want to pick up right as, like, this is really getting going, around line 31. It says, When Achilles' hands were sore from killing, he called twelve boys live from the river to pay for the blood of dead Patroclus. They were dazed as fawns when he led them out, their hands bound behind them with the leather belts they had been wearing around their corded tunics. Achilles' men led them back to the ships, and Achilles returned to his killing frenzy. Notice that he takes some time out to capture a dozen young Trojan soldiers, like boys, 
Um, these are probably squires or charioteers or people who are like not actually responsible for the main action. And pretty grimly, it seems like he's going to sacrifice them to the gods, yet another example of human sacrifice, to pay for Patroclus's life. This is just a pure act of petty vengeance on his part. Um, like he's going to bring them back to his camp alive, let them sit and stew until he kills them all at once. Yeah, this is not something that you're going to see a lot in Greek mythology. This is not normal behavior. Um, Achilles is very, very angry. His rage, his rage deep in his bones, like it is manifesting in the form of pure brutality in a lot of these uh, scenes. And we can see this especially with his interaction with Lycaon right after this. He says, on the way back, he met a son of Priam, Lycaon by name, running from the river. This boy Achilles had captured once before in his father's orchard, where he had come one night to cut fig saplings for chariot rails, but found Achilles' iron mask in his face. That time Achilles sold him for a good price to Jason's son on Lemnos, where he had shipped him. Notice Jason's son on Lemnos. Yeah. That's a connection to the Jason and the Argonauts story. Apparently, sleeping with the smelly woman of Lemnos also produces children from time to time. But more importantly for our purposes, Lycaon and Achilles know each other. Achilles captured him once before. This is also pretty typical of Greek warfare and indeed warfare throughout the ancient and medieval period. Um, oftentimes, it is more profitable for you to capture your adversaries than kill them. And if you do capture them, then you ransom them back to their families for buckets of money. Um, that's what Achilles did with Lycaon once upon a time. He captured him. He realized that he was a young nobleman. Like, he didn't feel any need to kill him because he's a young kid. Like, you don't... That's just dishonorable. There's nothing to be gained by killing... Kill, children for all intents and purposes so you send it back to your parents you get a butt ton of money everyone wins um but it's different this time um achilles says what's this i see the trojan princes i've killed are starting to are going to start rising from the moldering gloom judging from how this one has escaped his fate after being shipped off to lemnos and sold now like Haon in response is trying to get out of the situation. Like, Achilles is on a killing spree, obviously. Again, this commander is choked with the bodies of people that Achilles has wrecked. Lycaon is afraid. All he wanted, Line 70 tells us, was to wriggle away from death and black fate. All Achilles wanted was to run him through. His spear flashed out, but Lycaon, stooping to touch his knees, ducked under it. The spear passed over his back and stuck in the earth, quivering with desire for a man's flesh. Lycaon caught Achilles' knees with one hand and held the pointed spear with the other and would not let go of either as he begged, I am at your knees, Achilles. Pity me. You have to respect me as your suppliant, for I tasted Demeter's holy grain with you on that day you took me captive in the orchard and sent me far from my father and friends, sold into sacred Lemnos for a hundred oxen. Notice, he's invoking the hospitality law. The same hospitality law that caused uh, Diomedes and Glaucon or Glaucus to just stop in the middle of battle, compare their various lineages, come to the conclusion that they had shared bread at one point in their history, and as a result, that they couldn't fight each other anymore. Lycaon is saying the same thing to Achilles. You captured me. I ate with you. We took food together. You had pity on me once. That means you have to have pity on me again. You have to be nice to me. You can't just kill me. 
Um, you sold me, you got your money, you can do it again, that's all fine and good, that's within the bounds of the rules, but you can't very well just kill me, your friend, the person who has had this connection with you. This morning was my twelfth since getting back to Ilion after many hard turns. So Lycaon has literally been in Lemnos for all of this time, like years in all likelihood, and just twelve days ago he finally made it back to Troy, and now Achilles is here getting ready to kill him for the second time. And now fate has put me in your hands again. Father Zeus must hate me to give me to you twice. My mother bore me for a shortened life. Laotoe, old Altes's daughter. Altes, lord of the Lelogies. Notice how he's immediately going through his lineage again. He's literally doing the exact same thing that Glaucus and Diomedes did. Exchanging their father's name. Ex telling him about his history. Pointing to the fact that they have this connection and that they need to respect one another. He is pointing to his family, indicating that killing him would cause his family suffering, pain. Priam had his daughter as one of his wives, and we're her two sons, and you'll butcher us both. Godlike Politerus, you've already killed. Got him with your spear as you led the charge, and now this is it for me? I doubt I can escape, since it was some god who put me in your hands. But I'll say this too, and you can think it over. Don't kill me, since I'm not from the same womb as Hector, who killed your gentle, valiant friend. I am not Hector's brother. I am his half-brother. I am not culpable in the same way that Hector is. We have all of these reasons for you to take mercy on me, so take mercy on me. Priam's glorious son spoke words of entreaty, but heard a voice without a trace of softness say, Shut up, fool, and stop talking ransom. Before Patroclus met his destiny, it was more to my taste to spare Trojan lives, capture them, and sell them overseas. But now they all die. Every last Trojan God puts into my hands before Ilion's walls, all of them, and especially Priam's children. You die too, friend. Don't take it hard. Patroclus died, and he was far better than you. Take a look at me. Do you see how huge I am, how beautiful? I have a noble father. My mother was a goddess, but I too am in death's shadow. There will come a time, some dawn or evening or noon in this war, when someone will take my life from me with a spear thrust, or an arrow from a string. He spoke. Lycaon's knees and heart went slack. He let go the spear and sat there, both hands outstretched. Achilles drew his honed sword and struck near the collar blown. The whole blade sank into his trunk and he fell prone to the ground, black blood trickling out and wetting the dirt. Achilles slung him into the river by his foot and crowed over him as the current bore him off. Lie there with the fish. They will lick the blood from your wounds, your cold funeral rites. Your mother will not lay you on a bier and lament. No, eddying Scamander will roll you out to sea, and fish will dart up under the black ripples and nibble at Lycaon's shining fat. All of you Trojans will die like that. Die all the way back to Troy's sacred town as I whittle you down from behind. Your river won't help you with his silver eddies. The water you've sanctified, no doubt, with bulls and with live horses thrown into his pools. No, you'll all die. Die ugly deaths until you have paid for the Greeks' loss, for Patroclus dead, killed by the ships while I was away. Achilles used to be merciful. Remember, Achilles doesn't have a reason to be in this war. He does not have a personal grudge against the Trojans. He does not have a connection to the whole business with Helen. He is independent, and it seems that up until this point, he has been sparing Trojans left and right and trying to make as much money as he can, ransoming them, or selling them far, far away so they don't end up fighting him again. To the point that, again, Lycaon was sold 
miles away from there to a completely different island far away where he didn't think he'd ever come back and this war has gone on so long that Lycaon ended up back in Troy for Achilles to kill again but now there is no mercy now there are no ransoms now there are no sparing of Trojan soldiers now that Patroclus is dead Achilles is going to kill every last Trojan he gets his hands on so it's weird to say that Achilles has given up his rage at this point Rather, his rage has transformed. Where once it was bitter, where once it was petty, where once it was directed against Agamemnon, now it's almost crystallized in him. Sunk deep into his bones, become a part of him, and is now making him even more angry, even more enraged. It's not an irrational rage, though. Notice how, he, how articulate he is about this. There's no viciousness. There's no condemnation. There's no insult. Like when Diomedes is in a frothing rage, he's barely even articulate. He just shouts angry words at people. When Hector is mad at Patroclus, he makes stupid mistakes. When Patroclus is enraged, he just doesn't even make sense. But Achilles here does make sense, and his sense is cold and cruel. He is not willing to listen to the reasons that other people put before him because he has a new reason guiding him. His calculated rage is more than any other person's rationality at this moment. It doesn't cause him to make bad decisions, not yet anyway. Um, but it does cause him to decide in keeping with his desire, his lust for vengeance. And notice how he even instructs the river to carry these bodies away. That's the plan for Achilles. He's going to wash them all out to sea. None of these Trojans will get burials. They will all be lost. Um, there will be no one to celebrate their deaths. There will be no one to commemorate or preserve them. They will die, and they will die pointlessly. Um, this is what he is emphasizing here. Um, now, in Troy itself, we see a lot of suffering across the board. Like, on the one hand, we have this pause here where Priam stands on the wall and recognizes that Achilles is like unstoppable and mourns for the soldiers who are who are dead um but at this point they make a tactical retreat he calls to the gatekeepers along the wall hold the gates wide open until the army can run inside the city achilles is here driving them on and i fear the worst uh when they are all inside and can rest close the double doors tight i dread the thought of that monster leaping inside the wall so he's collecting all of the troops like, no one can stand up against Achilles, so it's time to hide behind the walls. Um, just, they need Achilles far away in order to be able to do this without him getting inside. So what Apollo does is he pretends to be Agenor, one of the Trojan heroes, and runs away. And Achilles chases after him, again, enraged. Um, so notice on page, or on line 624 of Iliad 21... Um, then, with a ruse, Apollo got the son of Peleus away from the Trojan army. Likening himself to Agenor in every detail, he stood just before Achilles, who gave chase, pursuing him across the plain, then turning him along the banks of the swirling Scamander. All the while, Apollo, beguiling him, stayed just out of reach, and Achilles, with his foot speed, thought he would catch him. This bought time for the panicked Trojans to swarm gratefully into the city. They no longer had the will to wait for each other outside the city walls to see who had made it and who had died in battle. Everyone whose legs could carry him stampeded in. They rush into the city while Apollo is distracting Achilles. 
So at this point, the pla the plane of battle is being emptied. Apollo is taking Achilles off. Achilles has already sent his soldiers back because he doesn't want them interfering with his battle with Hector. Meanwhile, the Trojans are all running into the city, and that includes Hector. Um, we don't see him at this point, but we'll see him shortly. Now, the beginning of Iliad 22, we see Apollo and Achilles talk to each other. Like, Achilles finally recognizes that it is Apollo who has been doing this. So Apollo called back to Achilles, Son of Peleus, you're fast on your feet, but you'll never catch me, man chasing God. Or are you too raging mad to notice I'm a god? Don't you care about fighting the Trojans anymore? You've chased them back into their town, but now you've veered off here. You'll never kill me. You don't hold my doom. And the shining sprinter Achilles, that was a dirty trick, Apollo, turning me away from the wall like that. I could have ground half of Troy face down in the dirt. Now you've robbed me of my glory and saved them easily because you have no retribution to fear. I swear I'd make you pay if I could. This is where we see Achilles' rage taking him over again. Um, he chases Agenor slash Apollo without any awareness, tactically, of what he has done. The fact that in doing so, he has actually let all of these other Trojans escape back into the city. See, Achilles could have won more honor, could have possibly beaten his fate even, if he had continued just killing the Trojans, who wouldn't be able to get into the city because they would, they would be afraid that Achilles would get in and take it over um, if they had the chance. But since Apollo veers him off, once again we see Apollo acting as the hand of fate. We once again see Apollo making sure that Achilles' fate is realized, that he doesn't take over the city, that he doesn't manage to kill all these soldiers, that he only fulfills his own personal fate, his own responsibility. Yes, he will kill Hector, but he will not conquer Troy himself, single-handedly or otherwise. Now, Hector himself, while Achilles is coming back to the city, Priam and Hecuba and all of the sort of main players in Troy are advising Hector to stay the heck out of this for obvious reasons. Um, so if we look on page 206, this is line 44, Priam's voice cracked as he pleaded, Hector, my boy, you can't face Achilles alone like that without any support. You'll go down in a minute. He's too much for you, son. He won't stop at anything. Oh, if only the gods loved him as I do, vultures and dogs would be gnawing his corpse. Then some grief might pass from my heart. So many fine sons he's taken from me, killed or sold them as slaves in the islands. Two of them now, Lycaon and Polyterus. I can't see with the Trojans safe in town. Laotoe's boys. Notice Priam now realizes that these two sons of his are dead, that Achilles has killed them as well as all of the other people that he's killed. If the Greeks have them, we'll ransom them with the gold and silver old Altes gave us, but if they're dead and gone down to Hades, there will be grief for myself and the mother who bore them. The rest of the people won't mourn so much unless you go down at Achilles' hands. So come inside the wall, my boy. Live to save the men of, and women of Troy. Don't just hand Achilles the glory and throw your life away. Show some pity for me before I go out of my mind with grief and Zeus finally destroys me in my old age after I have seen all the horrors of war. My sons butchered, my daughters dragged off, raped, bedchambers plundered, infants dashed to the ground in this terrible war. My son's wives abused by murderous Greeks, and one day some Greek soldier will stick me with cold bronze and draw the life from my limbs, and the dogs that I feed at my table, my watchdogs, will drag me outside and eat my flesh raw, crouched in the doorway, lapping my blood. Notice Priam is aware as well of the fate of Troy. 
Notice that all of the things that he brings up, his daughter's being raped, his son's butchered, the infant's dashed to the ground, these are all things that are going to happen. They're all things that we saw in the Aeneid 2. Um, these are all very particular details um, that Priam anticipates before the, the fall of Troy. Um, and his argument here is, it is your responsibility, Hector, to stay safe, to protect this town to not give yourself over to Achilles because you were the last hope. It is your job not to fight him. Um, if you go out there, you will die. And if you die, we will mourn and we will have no defender and it will just be a matter of time. When a young man is killed in war, even though his body is slashed with bronze, he lies there beautiful in death, noble. But when the dogs maraud an old man's head, griming his white hair and beard and private parts, there is no human fate more pitiable. And the old man pulled the white hair from his head, but did not persuade Hector. Priam tries his best, but Hector is committed. Um, and we'll see why in a moment. Then Hecuba gives her chance. Um, his mother then, wailing, sobbing, laid open her bosom and holding out a breast, spoke through her tears. Hector, my child, if ever I've soothed you with this breast, remember it now, son, and have pity on me. Don't pit yourself against that madman. Come inside the wall. If Achilles kills you, I will never get to mourn you laid out on a bier. O oh, my sweet blossom, nor will Andromache, your beautiful wife, but far from us both, dogs will eat your body by the Greek ships. They know that if Achilles beats Hector, if Achilles kills him, there will be no battle for Hector's body. Because look at what just happened. All of the Trojan forces are now safe and protected inside the walls. If Achilles and Hector fight, and if Hector falls, it'll only be the Greek army there to carry the body away. No one can stop Achilles anyway. Even if the Trojans were out there, they wouldn't be able to stop Achilles from taking Hector's body, which means they're not going to be able to honor him. They're not going to be able to give him a proper funeral. So if we look at line 100, so the two of them pleaded with their son, but did not persuade him or touch his heart. Hector held his ground as Achilles's bulk loomed larger. He waited as a snake waits, tense and coiled, as a man approaches its lair in the mountains, venom in its fangs and poison in its heart, glittering eyes glaring from the rocks. So Hector waited, leaning his polished shield against one of the towers in Troy's bulging wall, but his heart was troubled with brooding thoughts. Hector is still outside the city. He has decided to stay, at least until this point. He is on the verge of coming back in. The gates are still open. Achilles is still far enough away that he can get back into the city. The decision is up to him at this moment. And this is where he considers what to do. Now what? If I take cover inside, Polydamus will be the first to approach me. He begged me to lead the Trojans back to the city on that black night when Achilles rose, but I wouldn't then. And now I've destroyed half the army through my recklessness. Remember back when he was thinking about possibly pursuing Patroclus? Like Patroclus had fought them back to the walls and Hector is like, maybe we should retire. It seems like Patroclus is doing really well. And Apollo, Apollo was like, nope, you should probably go and pursue him and kill him and set this whole chain of events in motion. This is one of Hector's mistakes. This is the other one that he refers to. Polydamus will be the first to repro reproach me. He begged me to lead the Trojans back. We could have retreated when Achilles first showed up, but I figured we'd take a chance. I thought we could take him. That was my error. 
I wouldn't listen, and now I've destroyed half the army through my recklessness. Remember the magnitude of this mistake. Back when we were talking about Hector's attitude in, uh, in Iliad 6, the whole reason why he continued to go back out there, why he wouldn't listen to Andromache when Andromache told him to defend the weak spot in the wall, was he needed to be there for his men. His troops needed him. He was an inspiration to them. He is the strongest of their troops. He protects them. They protect him. That's how this works. He couldn't possibly face his men if he didn't stand in the front lines and fight. That's his job. And now look what he's done. He's failed those men. Half of those men are dead because of Hector's recklessness. Hector said he could take them, that he could fight Achilles, that he could fight back the Greek army, and he was wrong, and all of these men died for it. Hector regrets this. He says, I can't face the Trojan men and women now, can't bear to hear some lesser man say, Hector trusted his strength and lost the army. That's what they'll say. I'll be much better off facing Achilles, either killing him or dying honorably before the city. He can't go back because of the mistake that he made, and the only way to fix that mistake is to take responsibility for it. To finish this out. To be punished for his deed. And note, he still thinks he can take Achilles. Like, Priam knows he can't. Priam literally just finished telling him that he can't. And really, again, this doesn't seem reasonable. This is like the most unreasonable thought that Hector has had this entire time, that he can actually take on Achilles. So he says, I can't face the Trojan men and women with me. I'll be much better off either facing Achilles, killing him, or dying honorably. I will take responsibility for my choice. I will follow through with my command. I will perish if necessary. That is the more honorable course than turning my tail and hiding in the city while everyone gets to say, Hector made a mistake. Hector led my children to their doom. Hector destroyed my sons, my daughters, my city. What if I lay down on my weapons, he thinks. Boss shield, heavy helmet, prop my spear against the wall, and go meet Achilles. Promise him we'll surrender Helen and everything Paris brought back with her and his ship's holds to Troy. That was the beginning of this war. Give it all of it back to the sons of Atreus and divide everything else in the town with the Greeks and swear a great oath not to hold anything back but share it all equally. All the treasure in Troy's citadel. Hector starts thinking in terms of the war. He's like, wait. What if we just stop it right here? Let's just call this war off. It's so dumb anyway. Let's give Helen back. Let's give back everything that Paris stole. Let's take the entire wealth of the city, divide it in half, and give the Greeks their, the half that they would take if they would conquer the place. Like, let's just end this. Surrender for all intents and purposes. But he continues, why am I talking to myself like this? I can't go out there unarmed. Achilles will cut me down in cold blood if I take off my armor and go out to meet him naked like a woman. This is no time for talking, the way a boy and a girl whisper to each other from oak tree or rock. A boy and a girl with all their sweet talk. Better to lock up in mortal combat as soon as possible and see to whom God on Olympus grants the victory. It's too late for that. Like, we're past a diplomatic solution. This isn't about Helen anymore. And it hasn't been for a long time. This isn't about the riches of Troy. This isn't about Helen. This isn't about Paris. This isn't about the goddesses fighting over their beauty. This isn't even about the gods in 
fate in all of this. It's now personal. They can't stop Achilles. Achilles will never stop killing Trojans. It is his single-minded mission at this point. He lives for nothing else but to kill people like Hector, people like the Trojan army, the people who took away Patroclus. Notice what's being said here about warfare. Because there's something rather profound about it. Um, the reasons we get into wars are never the reasons that the wars continue to go on. I mean, as much as... As much as we in our civilized age, which has progressed beyond such conflicts, like, as much as we talk about, you know, the causes for wars and why people win and lose wars, like, for the people who are actually in the war, it's a completely different experience. Notice what these characters have on the table at this point. Like, Hector is defending his city. He is literally standing there at the gates, in the gateway. He is very mindful of the soldiers that he's lost, the people that he has betrayed, the people he still has to protect. He's forced to face this decision, favoring either some of the people who he is responsible for or other people who he is responsible for. This war is not something that Hector can give up at this point. Like, if the Greeks said, you know, we are done, we're going to leave now, how many Trojans would still feel mad, would still have lost sons, daughters, family members, would still have petty grievances, want vengeance for what had been done? And for that matter, look at what has happened to Achilles at this point. Achilles, who was getting ready at the very beginning of this to just leave, to just bail entirely, who was like, why am I even still on this stupid plane of Ilion? Why did I come here in the beginning? Well, now he can never leave. Like, he knows he can never leave. His entire purpose is to be here, to die. This is who he is. Because they took Patroclus from him. At the end of the day, war isn't about, you know, big ideas or political movements or, you know, even the sort of grand concepts of, like, resource management or like personal glory or even fate at the end of the day it really just boils down to people being people achilles will not forgive hector and hector as a result has to either fight achilles or be disgraced um, these are the only choices left to him so naturally he will choose to fight because that's his only option he fails everyone otherwise or at least that's how he sees it and even while Priam and Hecuba are calling down to him, no, stay alive, be ready to fight for us again, living is the harder battle, Hector can't face that. Hector can't face his own weakness. If there is a weakness, if there is a flaw in Hector's constitution, this is it. It's his pride. It's the fact that he could go up to Patroclus and have the hubris to tell him, Achilles told you to kill me, didn't he? He knows that I'm the only thing standing between Troy and the end of the world. He can't face his failure. So he goes out to fight. He compares the possibility of diplomacy to a boy and a girl whispering to each other from oak tree or rock. Romance. Womanly stuff. It's not becoming to him. No, it's time for battle. It's this whole war will not admit of diplomacy. This is men's stuff. This is dudes fighting each, each other over their 
profound losses. And on some sense, it's, yes, toxic masculinity, ego. On another sense, this is something that is rooted in these people. Can you blame Achilles for wanting to kill Hector at this point? I mean, for all of our ragging on Achilles, this seems reasonable. Hector killed his friend, and now Achilles wants vengeance. And Achilles can take it and will. And he's warranted in that. Like, for all this text dumps on Achilles for sitting out so much of the war, at no point does this text reject his choice to attack and kill Hector. This is fate. This is what's supposed to happen. Achilles is warranted. So Hector ceases his speech, and Achilles closes in, and as soon as Hector sees him coming, Hector loses his nerve and runs away. Not the most glorious moment for Hector right here. So they run. They run in circles. They run around the city of Troy. At this point, they have locked the doors. Hector has lost his window for going back into the city. Achilles is too close. And they just run around the city. Like, they cross the Scamander a couple of times. They are just absolutely running. Now, Achilles is famously really fast, but Hector is bolstered by Apollo helping him out here. Um, but they, for all we know, this could have gone on forever. Like, they circle the city three times, which is an impressive enough feat. Like, when was the last time you ran around an entire city three times in a row? Um, and finally, like, they've got to stop it somehow. This could go on forever. So Zeus says, I do not like what I see, a man close to my heart chased down around Troy's wall. Hector has burned many an ox's thigh to me, both on Ida's peaks and in the city's high holy places, and now Achilles is running him down around Priam's town. Thank you now, gods, and take counsel whether we should save him from death or deliver him into Achilles' hands, good man though he be. And the gray-eyed goddess Athena answered, O father, you may be the lord of lightning in the dark cloud, but what a thing to say, to save a mortal man with his fate already fixed from rattling death. Do it. But don't expect us all to approve. Once again, Zeus says to himself, Hey, Hector's done us a lot of favors. Maybe we should save him. And once again, he's shot down. Nope, fate says otherwise. Don't mess with fate. And so, Athena goes and deceives Hector. Once again, we have a major hero coming to a bad end or making a bad decision due to a god manipulating the situation. We saw Achilles led away from the city by Apollo. We saw Patroclus stunned and killed by Apollo. Now we see Athena swooping down, pretending to be Hector's friend, because now if Hector has an ally on the field, he can take Achilles. Two against one. That's just simple math. Like, Hector may be not a match for Achilles normally, but all he needs is one other spear and that'll do it. So... Notice the conversation that they have here. Um, Athena flew to Achilles' side and her wor words flew fast. This is line 241 at page 212. There's nothing but glory on the beachhead for us now, my splendid Achilles, once we take Hector out of action, and there's no way he can escape us now. Not even if my brother Apollo has a fit and rolls on the ground before the Almighty. You stay here and catch your breath while I go to persuade the man to put up a fight. Welcome words for Achilles. He rested leaning on his heavy ash and bronze spear while the goddess made her way to Hector, the spitting image of Diphobus, and her voice sounded like his as she said, Achilles is pushing you hard, brother, in this long foot race around Priam's town. Why don't we stand here and give him a fight? Hector's helmet flashed as he turned and said, Diphobus, you've always been my favorite, brother, and again you've shown me why. 
Having the courage to come out for me, leaving the safety of the wall while all Priam's other sons are cowering inside. And Athena, her eyes as gray as winter moons, mother and father begged me by my knees to stay inside, and so did all my friends. That's how frightened they are, Hector. But I could not bear the pain in my heart, brother. Now let's get tough and fight and not spare any spears. Either Achilles kills us both and drags our blood-soaked gear to the ships, or he goes down with your spear in his guts. That's how Athena led him on, with guile. And when the two heroes faced each other, great Hector, helmet shining, spoke first. They square off. I'm not running anymore, Achilles, he says. Three times around the city was enough. I've got my nerve back. It's me or you now. But first we should swear a solemn oath with all the gods as witnesses. I swear, if Zeus gives me the victory over you, I will not dishonor your corpse. Only strip the armor and give the body back to the Greeks. Promise me you'll do the same. Notice that Hector wants to make an oath here, wants to make a vow. Let's make a deal. If I kill you, we protect your body, we give it back to the Greeks. No harm, no foul. Do the same for me. And Achilles just shuts him down. Don't try to cut any deals with me, Hector. Do lions make peace treaties with men? Do wolves and lambs agree to get along? No, they hate each other to the core. That's how it is between you and me. No talk of agreements, until one of us falls and gluts Ares with his blood. By God, you'd better remember everything you ever knew about fighting with spears, but you're as good as dead. Pallas Athena and my spear will make you pay in a lump for the agony you've caused by killing my friends. He throws a spear, misses. Hector ducks. But while he's mocking Achilles for him, for, for the miss, Athena grabs the spear and returns it to Achilles, which, you know, oops. Ha! You missed, godlike Achilles. It looks like you didn't have my number after all. You said you did, but you were just trying to scare me with big words and empty talk. Do you think I'd run and you'd plant a spear in my back? It'll take a direct hit in my chest, coming right at you. That and a god's help, too. Now see if you can dodge this piece of bronze. I'd like for you to swallow it whole. The war will be much easier on the Trojans with you dead and gone. And Hector let his heavy, heavy javelin fly. A good throw, too, hitting Achilles' shield dead center, but it only rebounded away. Remember... Achilles has the best shield ever, the one that Hephaestus made for him. It is totally impenetrable. He just blocks the spear and it's not a problem. Angry that his throw was wasted, Hector fumbled about for a moment, reaching for another spear. He shouted to Diphobus, but Diphobus was nowhere in sight. Remember, Diphobus is supposed to be giving him extra spears. That's the whole point. Achilles wasted his spear. Hector shot his spear knowing he had extra spears, but he doesn't have extra spears. It was an elaborate trick. And Achilles, in the meantime, has gotten his spear back because of Athena. And Hector knows that this is it. I hear the gods calling me to my death. I thought I had a good man here with me, Diphobus, but he's still on the wall. Athena tricked me. Death is closing in and there's no escape. Zeus and Apollo must have chosen this long ago, even though they used to be on my side. Well, this is fate. But I will not perish without doing some great deed that future generations will remember. And he drew the sharp broadsword that hung by his side and gathered himself for a charge. A high-flying eagle dives through ebony clouds down to the sun-scorched 
gutched plane to claw a lamb or a quivering hare. Thus Hector's charge, and the light that played from his blade's honed edge. Opposite him, Achilles exploded forward, fury incarnate behind the curve of his shield. A glory of metalwork, and the plumes nodded and rippled on the helmet's crest. Thick, golden horsehair set by Hephaestus, and his spear point glinted like the evening star. In the gloom of night, star of perfect splendor, a gleam in the air as Achilles poised his spear with murderous aim at Hector, eyes boring into the beautiful skin, searching for the weak spot. Notice the details here. Notice that Hector has decided upon this epic charge. He knows he's going to die, but he's going to die fighting. He pulls out his sword, he lunges forward, even while Achilles has the superior spear, and Achilles is described as fury incarnate behind the curve of his shield. Remember how I said that fury has, like, gone into his bones? This is its final form. This is Achilles as rage. Rage and Achilles are one. Rage incarnate. Achilles is nothing but rage at this moment, but this is rage like he was meant to be. Positive rage. Rage fulfilling fate. And it is ambiguous here whether this is Achilles controlling fate, controlling rage, or rage and fate controlling Achilles. It's unclear. Remember, like we said before, like Achilles himself said, rage tastes sweet, but it balloons, it mushrooms inside of him like smoke. It causes him to be controlled. But it's totally unclear here. He is rage incarnate. Is he controlling? Is he controlled? It doesn't matter anymore. He is the force of rage. He is rage. Hector's body was encased in the glowing bronze armor he had stripped from the fallen Patroclus. Achilles' armor, you'll remember. Achilles has his new fancy armor from Hephaestus, but Hector is wearing the old armor of Achilles, the armor that Peleus had been given. But where the collar bones join at the neck, the gullet offered swift and certain death. It was there Achilles drove his spear through as Hector charged. The heavy bronze apex pierced the soft neck, but did not slit the windpipe so that Hector could speak still. He fell back in the dust. Hector charges. He runs forward and literally impales himself on Achilles' outstretched spear. He knows he's going to die. Spears beat swords. It's a thing. They have longer reach. So as he runs forward, Achilles just lunges forward and Hector just, between his momentum and Achilles' force, drives the spear through his own neck. But not so it cuts the windpipe, because we still have a conversation coming. And Achilles exulted. So you thought you could get away with it, didn't you, Hector? Killing Patroclus and ripping off his armor. My armor! Thinking I was too far away to matter. You fool! Notice the echoes here. Remember Hector mocking Patroclus in the same way? Saying, oh, I bet Achilles sent you to kill me? Well, Hector was wrong. Achilles is right. He was a fool. He thought he would beat Achilles, and he was very, very wrong. He thought he could kill Patroclus and get away with it, and he was wrong. His offender was far greater and far closer than you could imagine, biding his time back in our beachhead camp. Now he's lying. Biding his time? Bullshit. Come on, Achilles, we know what you were doing. You were sulking in your tent over this whole thing. That's on you. Yes, you can say you were the great avenger of Patroclus, but remember, you yourself said, I have killed him. Achilles sent him to his death. His vengeance on Hector is warranted insofar as Hector has the glory, has stolen his armor. But if Achilles is really the guilty party, then shouldn't be, he be mad at himself? 
How quickly we forget that. And now I have you laid out on the ground. Dogs and birds are going to draw out your guts while the Greeks give Patroclus burial. And Hector, barely able to shake the words out, I beg you, Achilles, by your own soul and by your parents, do not allow the dogs to mutilate my body by the Greek ships. Accept the golden bronze ransom my father and mother will give you and send my body back home to be burned in honor by the Trojans and their wives. And Achilles, fixing him with a stare, Don't whine to me about my parents, you dog. I wish my stomach would let me cut off your flesh in strips and eat it raw for what you've done to me. There's no one and no way to keep the dogs off your head. Not even if they bring twenty or twenty ransoms. Pile them up here and promise more. Not even if Dardanian Priam weighs your body out in gold. Not even then will your mother ever get to mourn you laid out on a beer. No, dogs and birds will eat every last scrap. Notice, again, rage has compelled Achilles. He was rage incarnate when he successfully defeated Hector, but notice his irrationality as well. Dogs and birds will eat every last scrap. I wish I could devour your flesh myself. Like, what? The Greeks are not cannibals. They frown on cannibalism. This is not acceptable behavior. And yet his rage is fueling him. His rationality is gone at this point. Helmet shining, Hector spoke his last words. So this is Achilles. There was no way to persuade you. Your heart is a lump of iron. But the gods will not forget this. I will have my vengeance on that day when Paris and Apollo destroy you in the long shadow of Troy's western gate. Death's veil covered him as he said these things, and his soul, bound for Hades, fluttered out resentfully, forsaking manhood's bloom. Hector... His last words are true prophecy. I will have my vengeance when Paris and Apollo destroy you. Because that's the fate that Achilles is going to have. But notice how pointless it all is at this moment in time. Notice the way that this war has progressed. How all of these actions have fallen into place. How fate has been designing it. Patroclus fights for Achilles. Hector kills Patroclus. Achilles kills Hector. Uh, Paris kills Achilles. Like, is it, where does it end? At what point does the vengeance stop? Because Paris is going to kill Achilles, and then Neoptolemus is going to want to kill Paris. And then Aeneas is going to want to kill Neoptolemus. And then the Greeks and the Romans will fight forever. Like, where does this stop? Where does the vengeance end? The cycle, it just perpetuates. Like, where did it start? Well... Does it even matter at this point? Does it even matter that Helen was captured? Because now it's just all of these people with all of their grudges and all of their vengeance and all of their rage. It just keeps going forever and ever. And Homer observes the tragedy here. Remember, Hector got his scene, a more heroic, more sympathetic scene than anyone else in this entire book has gotten. As much as, he as Achilles is warranted in killing Hector, Hector's death is a tragedy. This is a moment of loss. At the same time as we are supposed to identify with Achilles, striving forward, fighting for his friend, getting his vengeance, we're also supposed to take that step back and, and see what Hector has lost here, see what Troy has lost here. Hector gets true last words, and yet Achilles' response? Die and be done with it. As for my fate... I'll accept it whenever Zeus sends it. Hector's threat is real, but Achilles doesn't even care at this point. Like he said, he doesn't have any reason to live anymore. 
Like, what is he going to live for? Patroclus is dead. What does he care? Let his fate come. Let him be killed by Paris. It doesn't even matter to him right now. It's all just fate. It's not even choices. It's not even people deliberately taking these actions anymore. It's just rage following rage following rage. Fate enacting this will over and over and over again. And even the gods can't stand against it. There's a horrible nihilism to this. A fatalism. Like, what has Achilles really accomplished today? He killed Hector. So what? Patroclus is still dead. The Greek soldiers who died while Achilles was sulking in his tent, they're all still dead. None of them are coming back. And if they do, in fact, sack the city, destroy all these Trojans, what will they have accomplished? What worth is the honor that Achilles has been fighting for all this time? Because all these dead bodies are still there, being dead. Nothing has changed. Just another episode of vengeance, another episode of war. It's weird to think that this culture that is so enamored with combat produces an epic that is so critical of it. And yet the criticism is, again, two-sided. In some way, Homer does glorify these heroes. He recognizes their accomplishments. Hector and Achilles run around the, the city three times, this heroic feat. Hector is willing to charge forward even though he knows he's going to be impaled on Achilles' spear. These are all heroic deeds, all important, all epic, all great, all indicative of these heroic figures, their courage and their strength and their speed and just everything good about them. And yet, they're all just dead at the end of the day. Like, how many corpses have we counted in this book? And how many of them are tied to people with lives and families? How often has Hector let some character like Lycaon spit forward his, this was my mother, this was my father, this is my struggle, this is where you sent me, and this is how I came back after much hardship and much pain, and then snuffed out. Achilles just takes him down. Doesn't even matter. What worth was that life? And yet, how, what are we supposed to take away here? It's difficult to say. Like, heck, Homer sees the richness of both the tragedy and the heroism of, in war. He does not seem to take a clear stance on either side. He recognizes that death is horrible. That all these young lives have been snuffed out for no good reason because of the machinations of a fate that is beyond even the gods. Something that no one can see or fight. Something impersonal and indifferent. And yet, where these people make choices, we see good and bad choices. We see Achilles suffering in his tent because his honor has been taken away from him. We see Hector honorably choosing to defend the city even to the, his death. We get to see Agamemnon, the terrible general, and Achilles after the death of Patroclus who just wants to fight for his friend to make up for the fact that he failed him. There's a lot to be taken away here. But unfortunately we have to move on. Notice how dishonored Hector's body ends up here, though. And he drew the bronze spear out of the corpse, laid it aside, then stripped off the blood-stained armor. The other Greeks crowded around and could not help but admire Hector's beautiful body. 
Notice the admiration, their beauty. Hector's goodness shines through even after his death. And yet, but still they stood there, stabbing their spears into him, smirking. Hector's a lot softer to the touch now than he was when he was burning our ships. This beautiful body of Hector, strong, powerful, wise, considerate, good Hector, whose goodness strikes these soldiers even as they stand there, stabbing him repeatedly with their spears, abusing the corpse. It's horrible, and yet captures both sides of that. Hector was good because he fought for good reasons. Achilles is good because he fights for Patroclus. And yet they're all monsters, insofar as they're just killing each other, disparaging each other, disrespecting each other, even though it's just an accident of history that keeps them apart. Now Achilles strips the body, takes his armor back, declares that Hector is dead and how awesome he is, and then they pierce the tendons of Hector's heels, tie it to his chariot, and he proceeds to run Hector's body over the battlefield. And while he does, Andromache and the citizens of Troy weep. Hector's mother weeps, they ring the bells, while Priam weeps, and Andromache hears the bells and realizes what has happened. She weeps as well almost like beside herself, almost driven mad. It says Hector's sisters and his brother's wives, this is line 525, holding her as she raved madly for death until she caught her breath and her distraught spirit returned to her breast. She moaned then and surrounded by Trojan women spoke, Hector, you and I have come to the grief we were both born for. You in Priam's Troy and I in Thebes in the house of Aetion who raised me there beneath wooded Placos under an evil star, better never to have been born. And now you are going to Hades' dark world, underground, leaving me in sorrow, a widow in the halls with an infant, the son you and I bore but cannot bless. Can't help him now, you are dead, Hector, and he can never help you. Even if he lives through this unbearable war, there's nothing left for him in life but pain and deprivation, all his property lost to others. An orphan has no friends. He hangs his head, his cheeks are wet with tears, he has to beg from his dead father's friends, tugging on one man's cloak, another tunic, and if they pity him, he gets to sip from someone's cup, just enough to moisten his lips, but not enough to quench his thirst. This, the success of Achilles is matched by the devastation in Troy. Just the hopelessness that Hector's death brings to all of the characters we've seen before. All the people whose lives Hector touched in, in book six are now brought back again to mourn for him. Hopeless, lost, sure now that their city will fall. As much as this is just one tiny episode in the war, as much as this one man is just that, only one man, everyone knows. Troy is done now. It's all just going to be one long slog until they are finally sacked and destroyed. As much as the Iliad does not tell the story of the fall of Troy, it makes it so clear that it's coming. This is the pivotal moment. If, in fact, Hector had won, the Greeks would be defeated. It would just be a matter of time. Since he is dead, Troy will fall. It's just a matter of time. 
there's one moment that may be the only important moment for all we know. Back on line 20, 235, once they have gone around the city the three times, we see Father Zeus stretched out his golden scales and placed on them two agonizing deaths, one for Achilles and one for Hector. When he held the beam, Hector's doom sank down toward Hades and Phoebus Apollo left him. That was it. That's the point where Athena gets to go to Achilles' side and reassure him. Yep, this is where we went. And notice that all of the major heroes who have died at this point have died because of the gods. Patroclus died to Hector third, Apollo first, and Euphorbus second. Apollo is the one who incapacitates him. Likewise, when Hector dies, it's Athena who tricks him. He wouldn't have stood and fought Achilles, except Athena forced him to do it. The gods are all playing with these mortals' lives. Their lives are not their own to control. Mortality is not something they can beat. They are forced to just die at their whims, and for no good reason in many cases. Now, in Iliad 23, we have a whole bunch of games in celebration of Patroclus's life and commemorating his death. And during the games, Achilles just runs Hector's body behind his ch chariot like this continues through Iliad 23 all the way to Iliad 24. And like the first half of Iliad 24 is just him continuing to defile Hector's body. Um, but what ultimately happens is Priam comes to ransom. With Hermes' help, again, Hermes is the delivery guy, he brings packages, and in this case the package is Priam. Um, he visits Achilles' hut in the middle of the night, and they have a conversation about this. That's basically the chunk of Iliad 24 that we have here. Um, basically, Priam is entreating Achilles. Please give Hector's body back to us so we can bury it properly, so we can, you know, respect him properly. And at this point, considering that it's been, like, multiple days... It's probably appropriate. The desecration has gone on for a long time, but it is emphasized throughout that Hector's body is being preserved by the gods. Like Apollo is making sure that his flesh does not like fall off, that the birds and dogs do not actually eat the flesh, despite the fact that Achilles has promised Hector that this will be his fate. Um, so Priam is just trying to like convince Achilles to give the body back, but we know at this point that there's nothing that Achilles wants. He doesn't want honor, he doesn't want riches, he doesn't care about his own life at this point. He has just been a single-minded monster for the sake of vengeance. So notice how the conversation proceeds here. Priam first goes to Achilles' place, and Achilles is shocked, initially, because how the heck did he get here? Achilles stared in wonder at Priam, was he a god, and the others there stared and wondered and looked at each other but priam spoke a prayer of entreaty remember your father godlike achilles he and i both are on the doorstep of old age he may well be now surrounded by enemies wearing him down and have no one to protect him from harm but then he hears that you are still alive and his heart rejoices and he hopes all his days to see his dear son come back from troy what is left for me i had the finest sons in all wide troy and not one of them is left Fifty I had when the Greeks came over, nineteen out of one belly, and the rest the women in my house bore to me. Doesn't matter how many they were, the god of war has cut them down at the knees. And the only one who could save the city, you've just now killed as he fought for his country, my Hector. It is for him I have come to the Greek ships, to get him back from you. 
I've brought a fortune in ransom. Respect the gods, Achilles. Think of your own father and pity me. I am more pitiable. I have borne what no man who has walked this earth has ever yet borne. I have kissed the hand of the man who killed my son. Notice that Priam entreats Achilles on behalf of Achilles' own father. Think of Peleus, he says. Think of your father, how distraught he would be if you died. And I've watched my children die 50 times. My sons have been systematically annihilated. You've killed so many of them yourself. He spoke, and sorrow for his own father welled up in Achilles. Priam achieves his goal. Achilles thinks of his own father. He is also moved. He took Priam's hand and gently pushed the old man away. And the two of them remembered. Priam, huddled in grief at Achilles' feet, cried and moaned softly for his man-slaying Hector. And Achilles cried for his father and for Patroclus. The sound filled the room. Remember how I emphasize that sort of it's just an accident of fate that Achilles and Hector are on wrong sides of this war? Well, now that's driven home. Priam is united to Achilles in their mutual losses. Priam has lost all of his sons, Hector most especially, and Achilles has lost Patroclus. They both know this pain, this suffering, this loss, this grief. They're united in that. They are both people first and enemy combatants second. The war is dumb with that logic. Like, why does it continue to consume all of these people? Why has fate forced them into this situation so pointlessly? They weep together. When Achilles had his fill of grief and the aching sorrow left his heart, he rose from his chair and lifted the old man by his hand, pitying his white hair and beard, and his words enfolded him like wings. Ah, the suffering you've had and the courage! To come here alone to the Greek ships and meet my eye, the man who slaughtered your many fine sons. You have a heart of iron. But come, sit on this chair. Let our pain lie at rest a while, no matter how much we hurt. There's nothing to be gained from cold grief. Yes, the gods have woven pain into mortal lives while they are free from care. He recognizes that it's taken a great effort for Priam to come here. That not only has Priam come here at great risk to himself, like if the Greeks found out that Priam was here, they would kill him in a second, or at the very least, like hold him hostage and demand the surrender of Troy. Um, Achilles recognizes that. He respects that. You have a heart of iron. But he also isn't 100% sympathetic. He says, let our pain lie at rest a while. There's nothing to be gained from cold grief. Yes. The gods have woven pain into mortal lives while they are free from care. Two jars sit at the doorstep of Zeus, filled with gifts that he gives, one full of good things, the other of evil. If Zeus gives a man a mixture from both jars, sometimes life is good for him, sometimes not. But if all he gives you is from the jar of woe, you become a pariah, and hunger drives you over the bright earth, dishonored by gods and men. Now take Peleus. The gods gave him splendid gifts from the day he was born. He was the happiest and richest man on earth, king of the Myrmidons. Although he was immortal, the gods gave him an immortal goddess to be his wife. But even to Peleus, the god gave some evil. He would not leave offspring to succeed him in power. Just one child, all out of season. I can't be with him to take care of him now that he's old, since I'm far from my fatherland, squatting here in Troy, tormenting you and your children. And you, old sir, we hear that you were prosperous once. From Lesbos down south, clear over to Phrygia, and up to, to the Hellespont's boundary, no one could match you in wealth or in sons, but then the gods have brought you trouble. 
this constant fighting and killing around your town. You must endure this grief and not constantly grieve. You will not gain anything by torturing yourself of the good son you lost, nor bring him back. Sooner you will suffer some other sorrow. There's no the sort of philosophy, the metaphysics underlying this metaphor of the two jars sitting at the doorstep of Zeus. It's not it's not sensible. Like there's two jars, one has good things, one has bad things. Zeus gives some of both jars to everyone. Notice that there is a description of what happens if you get a mixture of both jars and what happens if you get nothing but evil, but there is no description of what happens if you get nothing but good. That's not a thing. Like there's no scenario, no myth where we get just good in a life. We get close to that. We get Peleus who has a really good time except that his one son will never protect him in his old age. And look at Priam. He was rich, he had tons of children, everyone would have said that he had a great time, a great life, except the Trojan War has literally taken all of that away from him, and by the end of this it will leave him dead in his own chapel, in his own city, with his family dead around him. Sorrow is permeating their lives, their careers. Achilles knows this, and wisely addresses it here. He also says that there's no point in grieving because there's no point in fighting back. We have to accept our fate. That's the message here. It's the lesson that Hector knew going into this war. It's the Hector that Achilles has learned. They have to accept their fate and not grieve over much and not fight back against it. Now, ultimately, Achilles does give the body back. But I want to draw attention to one more moment before Priam leaves um, like first like Priam is trying to barter with him at one point Priam gives him the ransom it's a big deal um, he's like very thankful to to Achilles but he also kind of wants the body back right now and Achilles won't let it happen he says don't provoke me old man it's my own decision to release Hector to you um but notice, after this transaction takes place, after they protect Hector's body, after it's all prepared, everything goes quiet for a little while. Um, like, they have their conversation, they release Hector to Priam, it's all great. And the one thing that Priam finally asks for is, like, peace, an armistice. He says, if you really want me to bury my Hector, then you would do this for me, Achilles. You know how we are penned in the city, far from any timber, and the Trojans are afraid. We would mourn him for nine days in our halls and bury him on the tenth and feast the people. On the eleventh, we would heap a barrow over him, and on the twelfth day, fight, if fight we must. Um, you will have your armistice, Achilles says. Go ahead. We will give you the opportunity to get timber, to, bring, to build a funeral pyre for, for Hector, without any fear of being attacked. We'll let this one go. And he clasped the old man's wrist so he would not be afraid. And so they slept. Priam and his herald in the covered courtyard, each with a wealth of thoughts in his breast, but Achilles slept inside his well-built hut, and by his side lay lovely Briseis. Gods and heroes slept the night through, wrapped in soft slumber. For the first time in this whole text, there's peace. Um... 
nothing happens. There's no war, no one is dead, no one is dying, no one is afraid of their fate, no one is meeting this grim reality. They just sleep. And while they do, Hermes sort of calculates how to get Priam away from the Greeks and get him safely home because, again, they'll probably kill him if they find out that he's there. But for a moment, it's calm. Like, for a moment, they all get to rest and they all get to forget about their grief and their suffering. They all get to sleep. And it just strikes me, every time I read this now, um, how there's just this moment before everything picks up again, before the funeral of Hector, before the peace that allows them to bury the body, and definitely before the next wave of warfare ultimately will claim another crop of heroes and will cause another, you know, potential danger to the city long before the city itself will actually fall. They all get this moment of peace, this moment to sleep. And in the morning, they go back. Hermes helps Priam back. Priam assures everyone that there will be peace, that um, Achilles will keep his promise, and we get Hector's funeral. We get Andromache lamenting. Um, Our son is still an infant doomed when we bore him. I do not think he will ever reach manhood. She foretells the death of Astyanax, just as she foretold the death of Hector. Hecuba weeps. My... Hector, my heart, dearest of all my children, the gods loved you when you were alive for me, and they have cared for you also in death. She weeps for all of the people that Achilles has sold and killed. And then notice that the third is Helen. Again, all of the women he saw back in book six are back to weep him now. Oh, Hector, you were the dearest to me by far of all my husband's brothers. Yes, Paris is my husband, the godlike prince who led me to Troy. I should have died first. This is now the 20th year since I went away and left my home, and I have never had an unkind word from you. If anyone in the house ever taunted me, any of my husband's brothers or sisters or his mother, my father-in-law was kind always. You would draw them aside and calm them with your gentle heart and gentle words, and so I weep for you and for myself. My heart is heavy because there is no one left in all wide Troy who will pity me or be my friend. Everyone shudders at me. Notice the roles that Hector played in this city. Andromache weeps for him as a father and as a husband. Hecuba weeps for him as a son, as a soldier. And Helen weeps for him as a friend, as the only person in all of Troy who respected her enough to just talk to her be friendly to her be kind to her when everyone else makes fun of her when everyone else mocks her and resents her and finally we get priam assuring everyone they can go get wood and it's fine and achilles is not going to attack them and they do they brought out their brave hector and in all all in tears lifted the body high onto the bier and threw it onto the fire The people gathered around Hector's pyre, and when all of Troy was assembled there, they drowned the last flames with glinting wine. Hector's brothers and friends collected his white bones, their cheeks flowered with tears. They wrapped the bones in soft purple robes and placed them in a golden casket and laid it in the hollow of the grave and heaped above it a mantle of stones. They built the tomb quickly, with lookouts posted all around in case the Greeks should attack early. When the tomb was built... They all returned to the city and assembled for a glorious feast in the house of Priam, Zeus's cherished king. That was the funeral of Hector, breaker of horses. 
when we started this text, I argued that as much as this is Achilles' story, as much as he is the central character and the protagonist of the Iliad, this is, at the end of the day, about Hector. And I think there's no more obvious evidence that that is the case than the fact that this poem ends with the funeral of Hector, with this assessment, with all of these women weeping for his loss and for the loss of Troy. This recognition that Troy is doomed. This is as much as it is just a tiny chunk of the grand story that is the Trojan War, just one piece of the cycle of stories that probably embodied the whole thing that Homer had written or been a part of. At the same time, this is a complete story. It starts where the Trojan War honestly starts. Petty grievances, anger, bitterness, infighting. And it ends with the death of Hector, the last person standing in the way of Troy's ultimate demise. As much as this is about Achilles and about his rage, it's almost like Achilles is the villain as much as he is the hero of this story. As much as he is the perfect embodiment of rage. Remember, way at the beginning when Agamemnon called him out, said, you actually like fighting in war. And we have seen him develop not into, you know, a smarter, better warrior, but if anything, a more angry warrior. As much as he puts aside his rage with Agamemnon, he also becomes fury incarnate when he kills Hector. The lesson to be learned here is a convoluted one. And I'm not sure if we can walk away saying to ourselves, yes, Achilles is unequivocally a hero. His role in this story is more complicated than that, as is Hector's. As much as Hector is cast in the position of villain, he is the more just hero. He is the more conscientious hero. He is the kinder hero. Achilles might defeat him, but the reasons why have nothing to do with their character. Like, Achilles may be the better warrior, but at the end of the day, it's only because the gods picked him that he wins. It's only because Athena tricks Hector, casts away his spear, thinking that Achilles has already exhausted himself. Like, if they had both fought fairly, if there had been only one spear for each of them, both of which miss, who knows what that fight might have gone down to be when they're both wielding swords on the plains of Ilion. This is, I think, Hector's story. This is about a heroic young man who fought for all the right reasons and was cut down in the prime of his life because that's what fate had in store for him. And that is the only explanation we have. We can't justify it. We can't come up with reasons for it. The profundity of the Greeks here is recognizing that fate isn't rational. It is, if anything, the product of blind rage. And the connection between the two is rich and multifarious. I have only explored the tiniest bits of it. It doesn't make sense, is what the Greeks recognize. And at the same time as they recognize that senselessness, they also see goodness, valiance, heroism, even within what fate has prescribed. So this is Hector's story. Hector is our hero, I think. And we are right to mourn him. 
it is right and Homer stresses that it is right for us to see the death of any hero as a great loss and a great tragedy no matter which side they fought for so that's the Iliad and I hope that it has resonated with you as much as it does with me every time that I read it because this is more than just an old book about old people fighting there's something that very much still applies to this very day it's why we keep reading it over and over and over again like as important as it was in its day it has not gotten less important in the 25 years since or 2500 years since it's been written keep this in mind because as crazy as our world is looking at any given day the lessons it teaches might very well apply in your own lives before we're all done here so good luck to you and for next time we are going to start the odyssey which has its own set of stories and its own set of themes and its own set of priorities keep that in mind especially watch out for that first word just as rage was our central theme in the iliad so will the first word of the odyssey set our central theme there um keep an eye out for our major characters because there's going to be a lot thrown at you very quickly um, focus primarily on Odysseus and his family because that's who the bulk of the text will focus on um, but also do your best to sort out like the situation our initial setup we will once again be starting in medias rest so we have to figure out what everybody's doing what everybody wants um, and I will guide you through starting next time